are listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life Moscow Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Well, I'm going to bring out uh, Shane Austin. Come on out, Shane. All right, it's my friend Shane Austin. Uh, Cheney Real Life. So here's part of a vision of who we are as a church and what we do is uh, 10% of what comes into our church gets given out as a tithe. Isn't that a neat concept? Anyway, um, so as we give out, we look for places that we want to invest in as, as teams and as elders. And one of the first places we invested in back in 2010 as a church was a church called Real Life Spokane. And we had a connection with them through, um, through our, our Post Falls connection. And that church is well over 1,000 people on the north side of Spokane. Uh, Richie Shaw was the senior pastor there. And the cool part about it is that church that we supported has already planted another church on the South Hill and then a, a real-life church in the South Hill. And then Shane uh, started with Richie Shaw when that church kicked off. And, and he is being called to plant a church in Cheney, Washington, a real-life, Cheney real-life. And so isn't that exciting? Yeah, because guess what's going to happen? We're probably going to have people in our world that go to school there or that we know there. And so to have a fired-up, uh, disciple-making church in Cheney, Washington, uh, with this guy leading the helm, and you're going to find out as you hear uh, the message today, you would want to go there. You would want to be a part of that. So we got a chance to be a part of Real Life um, Spokane, and we're, all, we're also financially and prayerfully supporting uh, Real Life Cheney as a church. And so I'm super excited for you to be here, and you've shared your heart this whole weekend, and it's been really impactful for a lot of people on our team. And um, we just are blessed that you would spend the time to come here and hang out with us and just share what God's doing with you and, and how you're obeying his calling. So we love you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me and thanks for supporting us. Yeah, yeah awesome. Well, hey, I'm excited to, to be here. Um, Josh said that based on what you're about to hear, you'd want to come to my church. So no pressure. Um, but uh, it's, a team, it's a team sport here. So uh, hey, I'm, I'm excited, man. God, God is moving. Um, just, just real briefly, Cheney is, is exploding right now. I mean, you got Eastern Washington right there. So similar kind of feel of Moscow and Pullman, of College Town. Uh, we've also got Fairchild Air Force Base right next door. And then this uh, small company you may have heard of called Amazon is open a distribution center with about 3,000 jobs here next month. So they cannot put up houses and apartment complexes fast enough. We see amazing opportunity for the gospel to advance in Cheney, but also beyond because some people are going to be there for life. Cheney is going to be home. Others, they're going to be there for a season. We have an opportunity to invest in them, help them learn what it means to follow Jesus, but also be a disciple who makes disciples, which is part of our mission collectively of reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. And then wherever God sends them next, they're going to carry that culture of disciple making and relationship with them. So we're excited for what God's doing. Um, a little bit about myself. My wife and I have been married um, 10 years and 22, 23 days. Sorry, math real quick. So we just celebrated our 10-year anniversary a few weeks ago. We have three amazing kiddos. Um, you'll see a picture of them. There they are. So on the far right is our oldest, Esme. She's almost seven, going to be in first grade. Um, she's already way too smart. I have to like study before I can actually help her on her homework. Um, Declan on the far left, uh, he's our son, four years old. He is all boy. So anything possible can be a gun, can be a sword, any kind of um, weapon that can be used. He's breaking furniture. It's awesome. And then our, our youngest there, Ada, um, she's a firecracker. She is the smallest and the loudest um, in our family. She's two and a half. So um, extremely blessed just to be able to follow this call that God has in our lives. We've been part of uh, real life in Spokane, like Josh said, since it began. Um, we, man, we, we moved our family into Spokane from Cheney. We were living in Cheney previously. We thought 
man, we, we thought we bought our forever home, fixed it up, all these projects, complete remodel. And then three and a half years ago, we weren't looking for anything to change. We weren't looking for a move, but God clearly put on our hearts that he was calling us to, to plant a church at some point in the future. We didn't know when, we didn't know where, um, but then he made it really clear about a year and a half ago that Cheney was the place, fall of 2019 was the time. And so we're really excited to, to just be part of what God's doing. So when, when Josh said, hey, I want you to come and I want you to share your heart. And here's the theme, forever changed. He said, like, is there a passage or a scripture that comes to mind for you when, when you hear the words forever change? I said, absolutely. Like that was a no brainer. I thought of it right away. Second Corinthians chapter five. So if you've got Bible, Bible Act, second Corinthians chapter five. See, I, I, I grew up um, not, not with a faith background. So following Jesus, um, knowing that there's a God who loves me, didn't, didn't have any concept of that. And really I tried to find fulfillment about every other way. That, that the world invites us into, whether it be relationships, whether it be substances, whether it be approval from others, whether it just be the accumulation of stuff um, and, and all of that after a while, it just kind of wore off. The, the excitement, the, the, what, the allure of what originally drew me eventually kind of began to fade away. And I began to think, well, man, here I am, I'm only, I'm only 17 years old and I feel like I've kind of like exhausted all the areas to find satisfaction that I know to look. So what else is there? What would I do with my time, my money, my energy, if I wasn't just chasing after these things that kind of seemed to just be on repeat for me? And I didn't know at the time, but looking back, I can clearly see God drawing me to himself as he began to make everything the world had to offer just lose its flavor. And so I found myself invited to a church event. I heard the gospel and... Man, this idea that there's a God who loves me, not only loves me, but would choose to forgive my sins. So he would take the weight of the guilt and the shame that I'd carried around for so long. Not only would he take that, but then he would give me his perfection. So I wouldn't have to strive and be good enough because I thought surely there was something I must do to, to earn God's approval. So he would want me on his team. And then I realized, well, there's nothing I could do. It's only by his grace. And I thought, well, that... Sounds like a fairy tale, if I'm honest. It sounds way too easy. It's too good to be true. But it's the best shot I've got, so I might as well look into this. And, and God began to get a hold of my heart. I remember I was standing in a lake in Anchorage, Alaska in June 2004. Um, and just to give you an idea, Alaska in June is, is not as warm as it is in Moscow, Idaho, and especially when you're standing in the water. And I'm, my youth pastor's there, and he's getting ready to baptize me. And he's going on and on about these conversations that him and I have had over the last couple of months and scriptures that we looked at together as we were getting ready for this moment of, of getting baptized. And, and he's wearing chest waders. Like, like, so he's good, right? Like, I mean, he's probably sweating, like a little bit hot in neoprenes. Like, you know, I mean, he's, he, he's like, he's totally fine. He's going on, I'm like, get to the point. Like, I am freezing here. Like, there's not much insulation on this body, as you can see. So it doesn't take much for my teeth to start chattering. And he's just going on and on. And finally, he gets to the point where he's ready to put me underwater. So I plug my nose and man, he baptizes me. I just remember in that moment, preparing for the shock of the frigid cold water. And there was just this feeling of just warmth. Just like, like almost like warm honey, like over my entire body. And I started weeping uncontrollably as I was just overwhelmed with God's love his grace and his presence in that moment. That's where I was forever changed. But then very quickly I realized, man, it wasn't just like that moment because 
all those old pursuits that I couldn't go back to because they were empty. There was nothing left in them for me to find purpose and fulfillment in this life. So when you and I are forever changed, what does that mean for kind of the the rest of life, like the the daily relationships that we have or, or our priorities, the things that we pursue that we're trying to find fulfillment and purpose? Like where do we... Where do we seek that now if it's no longer where it used to be in the way that the world offers to us? And that's where I want to look at 2 Corinthians 5 together. I want to read starting in verse 11. Paul, this, this crazy man who used to persecute and chase down and imprison and even approve the killing of Christians, has a radical forever changed moment of his own and begins to plant churches, preaching the gospel. And here's a letter that he writes to one of those churches in a town called Corinth. He says, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No. We're giving you a reason to be proud of us. You can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So Paul starts this out with with because, and he's tying back to what he had just referenced in the previous few verses, where he's talking about heaven, eternity. He says that, that should be your focus. That should be your aim in life, is not just for a good life here and now, but you should be focused on eternity, focused on God's kingdom, which will never end. Because this life, he says, in comparison, it's, it's so short. It's it's so fragile, it's so quick, it's like a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow in comparison to eternity. So he says, because our, our, our lives are united with Christ, united with him in heaven, we will be with him for eternity because this is true. He says, we have this fearful responsibility to the Lord. And sometimes we hear the fear of the Lord, or the fear of God, we're like, oh, I don't wanna mess up. Like, I hope a lightning bolt doesn't come in and strike me right now because of what happened last week or last night. Like, I don't want to mess up and, and, and make him angry. But here's what I think Paul is, is, is more trying to help us understand is that man, our lives are no longer our own. If, if you and I have said yes to Jesus, and I recognize there's, there's some of you here today where, man, you're not sure where you stand with Jesus. You're not sure what you believe about him. And I believe God has you here for a purpose today that he's drawing you to himself even right now. But those of us who have said yes, who have surrendered to Jesus, he says, your life is no longer your own. It's been bought with the price, the price of the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for you to to pay for the sins that you and I have committed. And he says, not only that, God invites you into relationship with him. God wants to work through you to display his grace and his love to others. See, it's incredible to me that God would not only love us invite us into relationship with him. But then from there, he would invite us to join him in the work that he's doing, which brings more fulfillment, more purpose, more joy than any other pursuit we could create for ourselves. Any other career path, any other picture perfect family that we might have, any other, you know, house and boat by the lake, any of those images that we chase after, man, what God has for us is so much better. And so the the fearful part for me is I don't want to miss out on what God is doing. 
Because here's the thing. When God invites us to join him at work, there's nothing that I bring to the table that God can't do by himself. He is completely sufficient. He, he is completely powerful. Like he, he wasn't lonely and it's like, oh, I should create people because they're gonna meet my needs. No, no, he, he is completely self-sufficient in and of himself. And we, he, he could reach this world any way he wants to and he chooses to go through us, his people. That's crazy to me because I, I, know, I know myself and I'm sure God choosing to partner with me or me to partner with him probably slows him down a lot of the times. Like I get in the way. I'm inconsistent. I have ups and downs. I have days where I'm like, yes, let's do this. And days where I'm like, let's just feed the flesh. What do I want to do today? It's all about me today. And the fact that God would choose to go through us as his people is incredible. And so there's this fear like, God, I don't want to miss out. Because as God works through us, we get to experience more and more of who he is in our lives. We get to see him answer prayer. We get to see him do miracles. You don't experience that from a spectator standpoint. You experience that when God's doing the work in you and through you. He says we have this fearful responsibility to persuade others. God's the one that does the change in people's hearts, but again, he wants to work through us. He wants to demonstrate what he can do through the transformed lives of his people. As people see you and know you and say, you're you're different than you used to be. You're not, you're not as harsh as you used to be. You're not, you're not as critical. You're, you're, you're patient. And you're, you're quick to forgive. God displays his grace through the hearts of his people who have been transformed by his love. And that's what he says. His love is what controls us, is what compels us. Paul says Christ's love should compel us, should, should be the motivation in our lives. When you, when you wake up in the morning, whether you're going to school, you're going to work, you're getting ready to interact with kids, interact with friends, what motivates you? What's driving you? Paul here is saying, the love of Christ should be what compels us, what controls us, what urges us on towards what God has for us in our relationships with the people around us. And he continues in verse 16 and 17. He says, so because, because God's done all this, because of what he's doing in our hearts and his invitation for us to join him, he says, we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Man, it's so easy to get caught in looking at people just from a temporary here and now. They're just that annoying neighbor who, whose music is too loud or who continues to throw their dog poop over your, on your side of the yard, right? Like you just think about them for like from a temporary standpoint or just, man, they're that coworker that just always is looking for you to do them a favor but is never willing to return it. Or they're that, that friend that just continues to gossip over and over and so you can't actually trust them with anything that's true of, of your life. And we just look at people, I do this so often from a temporary point of view. And Paul says we have to stop that. We have to look at every single person as someone who is created in God's image because God doesn't make mistakes or accidents. It means every person breathing oxygen on this planet was made in God's image, made to be in relationship with him, created for eternity. But how often do I interact, whether it's at the grocery store, where I work, where my kids play sports or go to school, I'm not looking at people and seeing eternity. I'm looking at just people who are in my way on what I'm on my way to do. Paul says we have to stop looking at people just from a human point of view. He says at one time we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. Maybe you thought of him as a good teacher, a prophet, a good man. No, he says how differently we know him now. He is, Christ. He is the son of the living God, God himself in the flesh. 
It says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. When we are in Christ, when we come to him and he, he, he grabs a hold of our hearts and our lives are laid down before him. See, God isn't in the business of just making us look a little better. He, he doesn't just upgrade us to like the better version of ourselves, like you trade in your latest piece of technology and get the latest one that just came out. He, he doesn't just make bad people good. God is, is in the business. He makes dead people alive. Like that's the level of transformation that he brings to our hearts. And so there should be a transformation that happens not only in our hearts, that he takes out, the Bible says, this, this hard heart of stone that was resistant to his love and his leadership. And he gives us this soft heart, this heart of flesh that now is willing to be led by his spirit in relationship with him, is, is, is looking for opportunities to partner with God in what he's doing. The old is gone, it says, and the new has come. And so because we've been transformed, we look at people differently. No longer just from the here and now, a temporary point of view. But we look at people and we see eternity in them. And we begin to wonder, where are they at with Jesus? I wonder what God's doing in their lives right now to draw them to himself. I wonder if there's an opportunity that God might allow me to partner with him and what he's doing to show them his love and his grace. And then Paul goes on. He says all of this, this opportunity that God's inviting us into, his grace, it's, it's a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to himself. Listen, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That's the message that we invite people. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that in him we could be made right with God through Christ. He says all this is a gift from God. Do you recognize God's grace in your life? Do you recognize the gift that it is? Do, do, you, do you have a story of God's grace, of his goodness, and are you sharing that with others? See, the greatest evidence that Jesus is who he says he is is not, not how well you and I can quote scripture. It's, it's not how well we, we sound when we come together and worship and y'all sounded good this morning. It's not the size of our buildings. No, the greatest evidence that Jesus is who he says he is, is transformed lives. It's a transformation that God has done and is doing in your life. And people seeing that and said, wow, clearly God must be real because I, I know you. And you, you, you changed and you couldn't have done that. Like I remember that forever changed moment for me. And that June being baptized, and that, that first three months, June, July, August, honestly, there was, there was more joy, more purpose, more just satisfaction in life in the previous 17 years combined of getting to walk in the freedom that God had for me. And, and my mom, who, and she struggled with addiction all through my life, spent thousands of dollars on different kinds of rehab, inpatient, outpatient, going out of state, different programs, and nothing ever stuck. And, and, and she saw the transformation. 
She saw the change that God had, do, had done in my heart. She's like, I don't get it. You're not doing the things you used to do, but you seem more content, more at peace. You seem happier. You're not getting high anymore. Like, what, what's, what's changed? And I said, you might not believe this, but it's Jesus. Like, like he, he has set me free. Like, he has, he, he has taken this weight, this burden, and living with him and loving him and knowing that he loves me and fully accepts me is greater than anything I ever experienced before this. And she was right in the middle of full-fledged, full-on addiction. And she saw the transformation that God was doing in my heart. I remember the next seven days coming in and out of my house, seeing my mom laying on her couch, going through withdrawals. I mean, the whole thing, the cold sweats, the dry heaves, knowing that all I could do was pray for her. There, there, there was no quick fix I could offer. It had to be the power of the Holy Spirit working in her heart to bring about this new life that I believed God wanted for her. What's amazing now is 15 years and a, removed from that, my mom is walking with Jesus. She, she's out she's of church in, in Anchorage still. She's teaching young little ones about Jesus at, at a church daycare. I mean, and she is experiencing the transformation that only God can bring. And that's, that's just one story I can tell you of God's grace in my life. What's, what's the story of God's grace in your life? Like, like what, what has he done? Where, where, where do you know he came through? And maybe, here's the thing, I, I talked to enough people, I know. Maybe you're like, well, you hear my story. You're like, well, I don't have, I don't have that great testimony. I, I didn't live that crazy life in the world. I just kind of grew up. I've always, like, I can't remember not loving Jesus. And praise God for that. I wish I had that. I'm so thankful to God that my kids get to grow up in that now. Like, do not minimize the story of what God's done in your life because maybe it wasn't the, the drastic from darkness to light, but man, you've known his peace. When everything around you said you should be freaking out by now, everything is crumbling and, and God carried you through by his peace. Not because it made sense, not because circumstances said so, but because God said so. And you've known his peace or you've known his provision. We sang it earlier, you've known him as father. Well, maybe you didn't have that dad, but God brought people into your life to demonstrate his fatherly love to you through them. You've known him as that friend, someone who's been with you in difficult times. What is God's gift of his grace? Do you know it? Are you sharing it? And it says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. See, when God chose to bring us back to himself, he was not obligated. He was not lonely. He wasn't Missing out on something, he is completely sufficient in of himself. He did it so he could demonstrate his love because he cares about you that much. But see, you and I, we, we have this thing called sin. That's what the Bible calls it. All of us at one point or another have gone our own way. We've chosen to say, yeah, God, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to try things my way and see how it goes. The Bible calls this sin. It's rebellion. And God, God is perfect. And none of us meet that standard of perfection. Even on our best days, we fall short of God's glorious standard. And so in his love, God sent his son, Jesus, fully God, fully man, to live the perfect life that none of us could live. And then no one took his life from him. He gave it willingly. He offered his life on the cross so you and I could be made right with God. If we could believe, if we would believe that his sacrifice covered us, covered all of our sin, paid the price that we deserve to pay, and that his resurrection freed us from death and guaranteed us a gift of eternal life. 
See, God is a God of love. He's also a God of justice. So he couldn't just wipe the slate clean and say, well, let's just forget about your sin. Let's just pretend it never happened. No, there had to be payment for sin. And God loved us so much that he gave his own son as that payment. That's his love for you. This is the message that we share. And he says, we are Christ's ambassadors. What does it mean to be an ambassador? That's not a word I use in my everyday vocabulary. Very simply, it means this, that you and I, if we have said yes to Jesus, we no longer live for the culture and the kingdom of this world. We represent a different king and a different kingdom. We live in a foreign land showing the citizens of this kingdom, this world, what God's kingdom looks like. That's what Jesus began when he, he came here announcing the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he says, let me show you what it looks like. And he loved people differently. He, he spoke differently. He, he called us to different standards of love and self-sacrifice. Here's the way this commentator says our role of ambassadors looks like. He says, an ambassador does not speak to please his audience. Can I be honest? That's really hard for me. I like to be liked. I like people to approve of me. But he's saying here, we're not speaking to please the people around us. No, we, we, we speak to please the king who sent us. It's Jesus. An ambassador does not speak on his own authority. His own opinions or demands mean little. It's not about how much I know or what, what I can spout off, what I can quote. He simply says what he has been commissioned to say. But an ambassador is more than a messenger. He's also a representative and the honor and reputation of his country are in his hands. Mean this, when people look at our lives, when they are around us, they should see something different than what the world offers. They should see a different level of commitment to relationship. They should see a different level of transparency and humility. They should be, see a different level of genuine care for the people around us because we're not looking at them from a temporary standpoint anymore. We see eternity in every person's eyes. That's what it means to be ambassadors. In verse 21, I, I need to read it to you one more time in a different version. I love this because it says, for our sake, this is, this is the verse that just captured me for that forever changed moment. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That, that, that's crazy to me that God would choose to look at you and I and say, you are my righteousness. Like sometimes we get this lie that we think, well, well, God loves me because he has to, but I know he doesn't like me. Listen, if God didn't like you, he wouldn't call you his righteousness because there's very few things in my life that I would like look at and say, that is, that's righteousness. Like my, my, my kids, I mean, I mean, to look at my three kids and say, wow, babe, we, 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 made, we made these. Like, that's incredible. That's a miracle. That's how God looks at you. With the same adoration, with the same level of affection, he doesn't begrudgingly invite you into his family. He says, no, you're my daughter. You're my son. I love you. You are my righteousness. In the same way Jesus was made to be sin by no sin that came from within himself. You and I are made to, to be the righteousness of God from no righteous living that comes from within us. It is 100 completely, it is a gift from God. 
You cannot earn it. You cannot deserve it. You're not a little bit better than someone else. It's not about comparison to the person next to you. It is completely by God's grace that you and I get to walk in relationship with our God and the freedom that he brings. So as you prepare to respond and just hear what God wants to leave us with in this passage, I'm going to invite our communion team to to get ready right now. They're going to begin to serve the elements of communion. You're going to take one of each, the bread, the cup, hold on them for a moment. We'll take it together here in just a few minutes. This is a time for us to have said yes to Jesus, to remember his love, to celebrate his sacrifice on our behalf. If you're here today, you haven't yet surrendered to Jesus, feel free to pass the tray as it comes by. We're glad you're here. We're praying God is drawing you to himself, that you're hearing his love for you. It's a time for us to have said yes to celebrate. So here's what I see in this passage. The first part is love fuels us. When he says Christ's love controls us, compels us, I should be motivated by the love of Jesus more than any other factor, more than any other dream or desire in my life. I'm not not living for that number in the bank account. I'm not living for that picture-perfect life. I'm, I'm living to demonstrate the love of Jesus in and through me. That should be our motivation. We wake up in the morning. That should be the biggest thing that, that gets us out of bed is, man, I, I, get to, I get to display the love of God in and through my life to the people around me. Love fuels us. So what's, what's compelling you now? What's motivating you now? If it's not the love of Jesus, I, I invite you to ask him to, to break your heart for the things that break his heart. Love fuels us. The second thing is grace transforms us. Again, God doesn't make bad people good. He makes dead people alive. He completely transforms us. That's why Jesus says anyone who comes to God is born again. Spiritual rebirth is a transformation. So grace transforms us, makes us new. I mean, even though at times you might struggle with the regret of past mistakes, God looks at you as a complete new creation. His grace covers all of it. And it also transforms the way we see the people around us because when God sees the people around us, he sees eternity. So we choose, we ask him to give us his lens for the way that he sees people because he sees people as permanent. The only permanent thing in this life is the people around you. The only thing that's gonna be in heaven with us for eternity are the relationships, the people around us. People are permanent. So we look for opportunities to demonstrate God's kingdom, his love and his grace, a a far better way than what the world offers. And then to kind of put all this in the bow, that we're called to be kingdom carriers. This is what it means to be an ambassador. We carry the culture of God's kingdom. Meaning this, that when people look at us, when they're close enough to interact with us, to be in relationship with us, they should experience something different than what the world offers. You and I are are called to to put God's kingdom, his name, his glory, his love on display. I love it, it was Aaron Couch was the first, first one I heard say this when he talked about what it means for us to be priests. In 1 Peter chapter two, we, we are called to be a priesthood of believers. Royal priests, holy nation. 
He says, we know what the role of a priest is. It's to put your God on display. God has given you his name to carry. We get to carry his kingdom. People should experience grace when they're in relationship with God's people. They should experience mercy. They should experience a love that does not keep a record of wrongs. They should experience self-sacrifice. This is what it means to carry the culture of God's kingdom. As you prepare our hearts to take communion, I wanna give you a moment just to reflect one, just reflect on God's love. Whether it's for me for the very first time in your life, you're hearing how much God loves you, his heart to be in relationship with you, that he's not sitting there marking off all the to-do list boxes that he has for you, that he said, no, come, please, come, come to me. I'll, I'll take care of all those things. Or you're being reminded for the thousandth time of how much God loves you. Just thank him for his love. Thank him for his grace right now. I also want to ask you to pray, pray for someone with me. Think of someone who you know that you're in direct relationship with and they're far from Jesus. Someone you work with, live with, go to school with, have social activities that you, you share together, but believing that God has given you opportunity through the relationship you have with them to be an ambassador to carry his love and his grace into that relationship with you. Ask that he would draw that person to himself, that he would transform their hearts. That's his part, not our part. But also ask that he would give you wisdom to know how how does he want to include you in the process? Maybe there's a part of your story he would have you share. Let's pray for them right now by name. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, He shared a meal with his disciples. And during that meal, he took bread, he broke it, and he gave it to them. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this and remember me. Let's eat and remember Jesus together. And then after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you do this, remember me. Let's drink and remember Jesus together. Would you stand to your feet with me as we... As we pray, the worship team is going to come and lead us in a time of response, just declaring our love for the Lord. I want to pray. Father, we, we love you. God, you are so good to us. God, your grace, your favor in our lives. God, your mercy. God, all of it is completely undeserved. God, I believe when you you look at your people here, God, that you see people who, God, are, are empowered with the same spirit that raised you from the dead, Jesus, and, and you, see, you see so much potential, God, for your kingdom to continue to, to grow and advance and, and to see more people come to know you, God, to see more lives being transformed for eternity, God. Because it's not about us, God. It's not about how gifted or skilled we are. God, you love to work through ordinary people because then it is clear that you are the one doing the work. God, there can be no mistake about it. God, I pray that you would 
Give us eyes to see people the way that you see them, God. You give us eyes even to see ourselves the way you see us, God. If we're having trouble actually believing your grace for us, God, that's going to limit how much we can extend your grace to others, God. So would you, God, help us, God, to fully believe your love and your grace for us. And then would that just flow through us, God. We wouldn't have to calculate and make sure we hold enough love back for ourselves, God. We could pour it out so generously knowing that, God, there is no end to your love. God, would you equip us as your people? God, would you make us your ambassadors? God, make us your church. God, may people see your love and your kingdom displayed through us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life on the Palouse. You can find out more about us by visiting us online at liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.